0: This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I each week have a different conversation that is raw, funny, often brutally honest about the things that matter most, faith, business, our lives, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guests this week are Chuck and Ashley Elliott. They are content creators who have, you may have seen their stuff on YouVersion or Right Now Media. They've served in an array of other national organizations. Chuck is a pastor at Bethel Church in Evansville, Indiana. Ashley is a licensed counselor and they together speak, they travel, and they just wrote a book called I Used to Be Blank. Because when you suffer a loss, when you are grieving, you enter the realm of used to be. You used to be married. You used to be employed. You used to be pregnant. You used to be secure. You used to be a son or a daughter, a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, a husband or wife. In that used to be space, you can feel stuck. And although you may dwell there for a while, it's not a place you are meant to remain. And their new book, I Used to Be, is really hoping to light the path to a better future beyond the place of used to be. They share biblical advice, mental health techniques, and they are really wanting to equip you to learn how to live fully free, facing your grief head on, holding on to your faith and developing healthy ways to see yourself, your life and your loved ones. This was such a good conversation. I was real hyped going into it because I kind of took the summer off from recording interviews. And so this was my first interview back getting into the swing of things. And it was so good. I really, really love them. I'm thankful to call them friends now. You are going to get so much out of this conversation. Men, women, this conversation is for anyone. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Chuck and Ashley Elliott. So I, in a frantic moment, had to hit record because we were just, we were just shooting the breeze and we've, we've learned that, uh, uh my guests, well, my guests today are Chuck and Ashley Elliott. Welcome. First of all, let's just say that. Welcome to well, the show.
1: Thank you so much for having us. This is fun.
0: We're excited. We're, it's already fun. We haven't, we've just started, um, In any event, Chuck was like, where do you live? And I was like, yeah, North Carolina. And he said, why was I was lived in Hickory for a while? And I was like, well, that's where my husband's from. And in any event, we learned that he went to a rival high school that my husband went to. And I just I love that. I just because it's I mean, you know, being from the Hickory slash Newton area of North Carolina, it's not exactly large.
1: No, it's not exactly a big deal. You don't brag and, like, put that in your resume. It's like, I'm from Hickory. Yeah, I'm from Hickory. Where people are like, where?
0: Yeah, whenever people are like, ask my husband where he's from, and he'll be like, Hickory. And then they just look at him cross-eyed, and he goes, the mountains
1: of the mountains like near the mountains
0: it's on the way to the mountains yeah it's but but yeah he i mean kid you not so that he moved there when he was four his dad was in furniture you said your Mm -hmm. dad worked in printing and yeah the furniture industry is that's that is hickory north carolina is the furniture that's
1: what they do that's what they
0: do and uh but he moved there when he was four and his parents like my husband is about to turn 40 don't tell anyone he's about to be 40. Good. Um he's
1: in the next room, isn't he, right now? N- he doesn't know. <laughs>
0: no, he's actually up in our barn. Um well, we're his hear office him cry. which oh, is in okay. barn. Yeah. We'll be- <laughs> anyway, I could go on a whole tangent. Um and uh yeah, his parents still live in the house he grew up in and his parents still go to the church he went to when he was in high school, Mountain View Baptist that's Church. That's really cool. And yeah, so that's uh that's pretty cool. So you were okay, I the reason i wanted to start recording cuz we were learning that we have these this very small world connection um mm-hmm. so let's do the chuck and ashley 101 and chuck i'll have you go first Give us yeah. your your Chuck 101. We know that you lived in Hickory for a time, but then <laughs> tell us more. Everything
1: else is a mystery. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. I, I moved around a lot as a kid. So I was born in Virginia, lived in North Carolina, Arizona, Tennessee, a Wait. bunch of places in Tennessee.
0: Where in Virginia?
1: <laughs> I was born in Lynchburg.
0: Lynchburg. Okay. I'm so I'm originally from Virginia, not Lynchburg, though. So I was like, if you were okay. if you were from any town I lived in, in Virginia, I was gonna be like, we're just gonna have to stop the podcast. We can't we have to, we
1: have to stop right now. No, to, I had family in. Appomattox and yeah. Roanoke, yeah, and all over. And I have—I'm—I'm I'm told that I have some crazy cousins in West Virginia. No, but I'm not I, from I West know. Virginia. I haven't hung out with them very much. But anyways, I moved around a lot, yeah. and then um, went to a couple of different colleges, and then I found Jesus and mm. went to a Christian college, and that's where I met Ashley.
0: Ah. Uh. I love it.
1: And we've been married for 16 years and she's still teaching me things every single day. Mm -hmm. And we were working with couples, doing lots of work. Um, We teach workshops. We do coaching, counseling, work in ministry. We do lots of things.
0: Amazing. All right, Ashley. Hi. Hello. Are you from North North Carolina or Virginia?
2: (laughs) I am not. I am (laughs) from Southern Indiana.
1: Born and raised.
2: And I went to Tennessee where I met Chuck at Lee University. Shout out. Loved our time at Lee. And it was a great time. We came back up here. Like Chuck said, we got married. We've done ministry together since while we were dating. Mm -hmm. We started doing ministry together. And we've just kind of gone through these seasons where we've done some ministry at the church in different rooms. And then we do more together. And we've said we felt like we have something unique in the two of us that we enjoy marriage work and people seem to respond to us. We both speak. And it's always hard to find other couples who would speak with us because it's pretty rare for a husband and a wife to both speak and be passionate about some of the same things. And so as we continued digging into that, we felt like we wanted to write and the first thing that came to our mind was our grief story. And so mm. we wrote a book that talked about grief and we didn't just cover, you know, our story is recurrent miscarriage, but we didn't just cover that. We covered large and small losses from job loss to the loss of a friend when a neighbor moves away, who's a friend or whatever the the sl- small and large losses are. And we feel like God has used our relational tools and the, the ministry side of things to help people. So it's not just a... Novel where you're learning a story about someone, but we have mental health tools that are biblical based, Bible based, and we want to help people find hope in the Lord. And so we've been thrilled to be able to do that work together and kind of find find a new way to do ministry. We also have three kids, so it's it's a juggling thing that goes yeah. on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's so much fun, and we're excited to do it. Excited to be here.
0: Oh, so awesome. All right. Well, I have a lot of questions, but I want to first, I want to, I was so excited to have you guys on because when I first, you know, even came across the blurb for your book, I immediately was like, I, I need to read this book. So it's called, mm-hmm. I used to be blank, um, essentially. And it came out uh, August 15th. So well, first of all, congratulations. Welcome to the Thank birth so much. of a, a book baby. Um, I don't know if you threw like a book shower. And I don't know, I, I'm writing a book right now. Like and idea. it feels like birthing a child. So like I congratulations to you. Thank <laughs> you so much. I love the concept of this. And it is something that I think feel like so many people can relate to. And I want you to really unpack it. Because I like I'd even just in the last, I don't know, it was sometime in the last month or so, I was speaking at a church in Texas, and I was working on the 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 message for for that um, mm-hmm. engagement. And I was writing it on kind of the the gifts of the body, like the body of Christ and and community, and what does this look like, and how do they all fit together. And in my research, I was researching the pandemic of loneliness. And like the actual pandemic of loneliness. I mean, there's like a whole Surgeon General's report on it, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And in my research for that, I was coming across these different definitions of how do we define being lonely? And one of the definitions I came across is not like a scientific definition. And it was just the definition of the feeling of someone who used to have friends. Mm -hmm. Like I used to have friends. And it was like, Oh, oh, like I, that was like a, you know, punch you in your gut kind of feeling. And as I was reading, you know, the, you know, preparing for this and, and reading about the work that you guys are doing, I mean, that's that the whole, I used to be blank. Like I used to be not lonely. I used to be married. I used to be a mother. I used to be a colleague. I used to be like in you know, mm-hmm. insert anything. I used to be pretty. I used to be popular. I used to be skinny. I used to be whatever sure. um, thing that narrative we tell ourselves. So I would love for you guys to kind of tell us about the book, where the idea for it came from. Let's start there.
2: Yeah. One of the main things that came from was our own losses and the work of working with others in a counseling setting, in a church setting. And so we saw some themes that we weren't alone in our struggles, though we felt alone. And so one of the things we saw was that grief is a liar telling us that we're alone and we wanted to fight back, but Mm -hmm. sometimes we didn't feel strong enough to. And we knew that we had a pastoral and a counseling background that should be helping us. And so we thought, man, if people don't have this master's degree training, how are they getting through it? Because we have this training and it's still so darn hard. And so as we were just thinking about it, we, we were trying to put together some tools that would help people. And so we thought about what we did practically and what helped us. And and so we share some of our stories. We share some stories from people we've worked with mm. and how they've gotten hope and how they've navigated their path forward. And so it's a mixture of of some stories, some short vignettes, and then it's also, you know, the the practical tools, the, you know, hey, here's a piece of paper or a picture in the book and you're filling it, filling it out, thinking about your own life.
1: And we really felt like people's their identity was shaken. Like you say, I used to be. I used to have friends. I think that's a really good point on that definition of mm-hmm. loneliness. You used to have friends. You're recognizing something that you loved, whether that be um, a person, a situation, a title, whatever it is. And then when you don't have that anymore, your identity's shaken. Mm-hmm. And we found that we needed some stability. And short of being able to get back who it is or what it is that we lost, we were trying to figure out, okay, what do we need now? Unfortunately, I mean, we can't... We, couldn't bring back our babies, but we knew that we needed relationship. We knew we needed to not feel alone. We needed community. We needed empathy. We needed to be together. And what does it look like to build those things back in? And so many times after you lose somebody or something, you just feel, you feel paralyzed and it's like, okay, it hurts. It stings. And we know that, and we know we're always going to be different it's changed us, but what's it look like to navigate the path forward? Hmm.
0: Well, I also personally resonated with your story because mine is a little bit similar, um, and I'm sure that you've probably heard from so many uh, couples and, and women that um, share similar stories. Um, and um, I'd love for you to share I- your story of your miscarriages. Um, so, I mean, mine was in. So we have two uh, living you know, children here on earth, Uh, Lily just turned 10. And Amos is seven and a half. And in between Lily and Amos, I'd had a really, really, really early miscarriage, like hadn't even had a positive pregnancy test. But like, I knew I was pregnant. And I, you know, I so I didn't really think about it. And it just kind of was like, Okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll try again, then my son was born. And then I'd always wanted like five kids, like I was I wanted a lot of kids. I love kids. And um, so we went to to try again after my son was born. And we had the, kind of the plan. Like our son and our daughter are exactly two and a half years apart, like basically to the day. Um, and so we were like, all right, we want another one, like two and a half years later. We like that two and a half year age gap. And so I got pregnant and made it through the first trimester. Everything was great, like looking great. We'd announced we were pregnant, like did a really funny announcement video. And I was like just right about to go to my anatomy scan. I was like one appointment away from my anatomy scan, and um, yeah, I I uh, went in for just a routine appointment, and there was no heartbeat. Um, and so I had to go through that horrific process. Um, so he, uh, he ended up, we never found out the genders of any of our kids until they were born. And so, um, gave birth to uh, Elijah Timothy. And so he, uh, passed away. We, we did an autopsy, all that stuff. No, no answers as to what happened. Well, so I was like in the midst, like the midst, the muck of grieving the loss of Elijah. When I caught pregnant right away. And that was not on purpose. Mm-hmm. And, uh, sorry if this is TMI people, apparently after you have a miscarriage, a lot of times your body's like, let me overovulate, woo!" Just, mm-hmm. you know,
1: ready to go. We're
0: all adults here. Um, yeah. and it just, yeah, the body was like, let's do this. And, um, I did not know that learned that the hard way and got pregnant again, like immediately. And I was in total shock. And obviously was like nowhere near mentally ready to be pregnant again. Sure. And so I spent that whole first trimester of that pregnancy like Heisman. Like just like, I'm not going to get emotionally attached to this thing. Like I can't. I was still grieving the other loss. Got through that first trimester, was seeing my midwife like very regularly. And she was like, everything looks like, she's like, everything's great. Everything's normal. All that. So guess what? deja vu, like basically same thing right around the same time. I was like one ap- appointment away from my anatomy scan. And I just, it was, it was actually father's day of 2018. And I was like, something is wrong. I feel, I just had a mother's intuition. Like I knew something was wrong. I called my midwife and uh, she was like, come in tomorrow morning and went in no heartbeat, same thing. Um, and so uh, his name was Malachi Jude and um, he, he ended up being a boy as well. And my husband and I, after that one, like we both grieved very differently because after the first one, you know, I was in just like the, the muck of grieving. And my husband was kind of like, he was of course sad, but he was like, all right, well we can try again. It'll be fine. And then the second time it happened, he was angry. Like he was, he, I could see, I've never really seen him like this. He's not a, angry person really. He can be stern, but he's not like angry, you know what I mean? And he yeah. he was just kind of like mad at God. Like why why would you do this? What are you trying what lesson are you teaching us? Um whereas I began to shift my focus to of course I was in the muck of grieving, but it was a more of more of a what lesson am I trying to learn here? Like what mm-hmm. what is the thing that is really um that God is trying to teach me? Anyway, and so, you know, it's been five years, and um, I'm in that weird space now where I see my friends whose kids are five going off to kindergarten, and I, I think yep. about it, and I think about like, yeah, what would that be like right now? Um, anyway, so I, I just wanted to share my story so that you can share your story, because I think that the more that we do that, and the more that we normalize, like, hey, this happens, and it's not fun, it mm-hmm. sucks, um, but how do we learn from those experiences and how do we grow forward, um, are really important. So would you, um, be willing to share your story?
1: Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for sharing your story. Well, thanks. I really, I really appreciate you going through that and playing that out and how it, it catches you off guard and at the same time you're you're worried about it and it, yeah. it's so complicated because so complicated. and it it presents itself different ways for the same situation for the same person and then you add another human in the mix and it's complicated so i mean we experienced um miscarriage in 15 16 and 17 mm-hmm. and with some of the losses we were just crying in the hospital and just in complete denial. And then after some of one of the other ones, we um, we came home and we were playing four square with our kiddos mm. in the front driveway and still just completely wrecked. And we got a little bit further along um, in the pregnancy with each one of the miscarriages and we were researching treatments and going to specialists. And um, we, we live in South Indiana, like going to Chicago, going mm-hmm. all kinds of different places. and doing research. I mean, Ashley, especially, I mean, just studying the journal articles, thinking about what could the treatments be? What are we going to do? And it was, it was such an emotional journey, especially just processing, thinking, God, do we keep trying? Yeah. Do we, do we try again? What does this look like? Okay. One miscarriage. It was like, oh man. And then again, and then I I felt stupid that I didn't expect maybe the second or third one is like, why didn't you think that was going to happen, Chuck? Mm-hmm. Like you were surprised by it. And then feeling like you thought that everything was just going to be okay. And, and just, just this mix of emotions and speaking, I can really relate to what you said your husband was feeling. Cause man, there were times I felt really angry. Yeah. I remember being in the gym with Ashley sometimes and just feeling like I was so angry that I, I wanted to cry. And I just knew that I was, was trying to lift more weight at the same time and it, and it comes and it goes at different times. And that was, it wasn't like, that was the day we found out that we lost the little one. It was, I think it was weeks later and it just, it comes and it goes and presents itself in complicated and difficult ways. And that's what we've tried to help people with and understanding that you don't have to fit into this mold. And there's no point that, it means that. Oh, you're just snapping back to normal, and it's not that it presents itself in the same way, and you have to handle grief the same way that everybody else handles grief, or right? You cry a little bit, and then you move on. And but I'll, I'll let Ashley yeah chat a little bit about.
2: I that. remember feeling differently with the different losses, but certainly I had a little bit different of a story kind of coming into the relationship because. My mom had recurrent miscarriage and she mm. had supposedly this condition where her body started fighting off the babies and it was called alloimmunity disorder in some of the medical journals. And she didn't know what was going on, but I remember being sad as a kid and then wondering whenever I was going to have children, if I would have this, I'm the only girl in the family. So I hope that my brothers wouldn't have anything. And it seemed like it was carried by women. And so I had this thought, but we had two kids. Mm-hmm. Mom had three kids and then a miscarriage, a couple of miscarriages, and then had another kid and then a couple of miscarriages and then one more. She had five kids. I think I did the math right. Yeah. But yeah. it was just a lot for us growing up. And so I had kind of the apprehension, but for me, just going through it was hard, but I was thankful for my mom. I had her there as a support, but then I saw the grief in her that it was really hard mm. for her to watch me suffer. And I have four brothers. We have a ton of nephews. We have two boys. And there's a part of me that that really wanted to have a daughter. Mm-hmm. And then the struggle of miscarriage, I was like, I don't know if First, we didn't know if the babies, the the first one, if it was a baby, a boy or girl. The second one we found out was a girl, and so when people say, "Oh, boy, mom," you know, sometimes that triggers me, and it's yeah. hard. And it's like, Lord, thank you that I do have a daughter, but at the same time, I have the 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 dissonance thinking what if she had what I had anyway and when she then Mm -hmm. have this loss and so I don't want that to continue so just it's a mess in our brains oh yes when when people say just little things that they don't mean to hurt you with Mm -hmm. but but for us with that third little boy that we lost our third pregnancy was a boy and I remember just holding him we got to hold him and just see his his body and thinking I feel like a jerk for wanting a daughter. and I feel like this, you know And I like. But I sang to him and I had that moment and it was it was special, too. But I think that just the emotion that you experience when you go through loss, it's a lot. It's it's a, it's lot. a lot of things that I will probably never share with people, partly that we don't even always talk about with each other that we've mm-hmm. felt because there's so many, not that we're hiding it, but just that there's a lot that you're trying to deal with. And so we were parents. We were People doing ministry. I was a professor at a university. And so we kept going about our rhythms a lot of the time. And so that's a little bit of our personality to kind of barrel through, Mm. but also that's what culture told us. No Mm. one told me I had permission to stay home. And so we want people to feel encouraged to give yourself permission to take care of yourself when you don't feel like you're okay tell someone you don't feel okay and although that was hard for me i needed someone to give me permission so we're giving y'all permission <laughs> to not be okay that's normal when we go through hard things it's normal to feel out of sorts and less stable and and that's certainly our story
0: yeah well it's so interesting that you were talking about like going and and doing all this testing and you know because i mean i you know i live in an area where i'm surrounded by duke university unc chapel hill like we have some of the biggest best medical facilities in the country like you know, 12 minutes from my doorstep. And, um, you know, I felt for a while, like I felt like a human pincushion. Mm-hmm. And finally, I just I, I felt the Lord just say, like, I need you to just rest. And I need you to just wait. And, um, and a lot has happened in the five years since then, where, you know, we still don't have more children. But in that time, you know, we moved to a farm and we planted a church and I'm writing a book. And so like a lot has happened. Um, so God's still, God is moving and he is Mm -hmm. teaching us all along the way. And sometimes you don't have the benefit, um, of really understanding what God is or was doing until you have the benefit of hindsight. And so I, my, my follow-up question to all of that is, you know, that is kind of, I, or I guess just briefly, like, is that really the origin story for the concept for this book? Is that really where the the seed of the idea began? Hmm. And then you took it from there? Or was it just you knew that this was going to play a part of it?
1: This is a part of it, but it helped us to develop content because after we had our little one, Emerson, who's five... Now,
2: um, and he just went to kindergarten. Oh, no, <laughs> I know, <laughs> and, I, and I
1: want and I wanted to
2: cry. I mean, I think I did cry whenever you said that, and I, but I just think it's so hard. We all go through hard things, mm-hmm. and then our heart is someone else's beauty, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's just yeah. this complicated thing, it's so complicated, yeah. So, anyhow, but he, yeah, he just went to school. We, We did take a year off, we, we took
1: we, a year off. After we had him and thought, okay, God, what do you want us to do with this? And when we started to Mm. um, shape some of the content and we turned our living room into a film studio and we have a friend who's good at videography and we recorded a series called Love and Loss Mm. that guides people through loss. And we didn't know what we were going to do with it and ended up that it got picked up by Right Now Media.
0: Mm, That's awesome
1: can see it there. And we've got series and things that are on there. And that turned into like developing the content. But before that, like we've had other things to grieve. Like before we got married, there was a a major break in trust. Ashley found that I had uh, looked at pornography. She found it on my computer when she Mm -hmm. was at my apartment in college. And that was something to rebuild and rebuild trust through that. And that's still a grief. I wish I could go back to a time that I didn't break her trust. And that wasn't part of our history. Right. Um, and that's something to grieve in the relationship that it's not what it could be because of things like that. And also, I mean, losing loved ones and we've had job changes and going through a pandemic. We don't focus a lot on the pandemic and the st- content that we work on, but people losing jobs, losing friends, just, and I grieving stuff that you wanted to happen, but it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Like, you like, my goodness. I mean, if you think I used, about, to, have
0: if you, I you
1: used to, to have dreams I to or have I used to have dreams, you know, exactly. I mean, I've talked to people, some guys who used to be in the military, some, some people who are Marines and they're like, I used to feel important mm-hmm. and now they have a normal job and there's just lots of stuff and um, people who are single and they've hoped that they were going to get married and they're grieving the fact that they had hopes of being married and they're not. And we just saw the different ways that it applied. But helping us to develop the content and some of that framework really started to take shape after the losses. And
2: Mm. the work that we have done together has been very relational. So we have spoke at churches together, just like a Sunday sermon. And we like to look at the relational aspects of Scripture. God is a relational God, and he wants us to be in community with Mm. one another. And so that was something that kind of shaped our conversation, our work together, and we've done a lot of marriage ministry. And so whenever we use you know, counseling skills or pastoral skills, it's very relational. So that's the frame by which we use to like write the book mm-hmm. that yeah. we were using a relational approach. And that's how we find healing in our lives. And for other people, it's like that relationship with God and relationship with others. And so that's what people we'll see throughout the book that we're, we're helping people to understand, you know, it's normal to want to isolate. And when you can't isolate, we socially isolate, we, or we, we emotionally isolate when we can't socially isolate. And so it's normal to feel these things to react differently, but let's keep going to God. What does God want for us? And kind of present that to him and ask him how to help us move forward.
0: Okay, so I one of the things that I really love about your approach to this and and the sort of the segue I want to make here is, you know, for somebody listening, you know, I'm always mindful that like there are men who listen to the show who have not experienced a miscarriage. <laughs> um and obviously like you said Chuck, like your experience with grief is different than Ashley's and my husband's experience was mm-hmm. different than mine and but I I like I said I love that you tackle different types of things and the reality is is everybody listening has experienced that some kind of loss some kind of loss and if you haven't you simply are an infant and yours is actually i used to be in a warm cozy womb um <laughs> temperature regulated and <laughs>
1: like I'm just, perfect and
0: safe. you know perfect and safe um you know, so, but, so we all have that thing, whatever it is, you know, I used to have trust. I used to have whatever. I used to be healthy. I used to be sober. I used to be secure. Um, all of those things can, uh, you know, we can fill in the blank. Um, but your approach and your the thing that you guys really offer is there's hope. There's there is hope. And God does not want us to stay stuck in these places. And, you know, he is with us in these places. Like even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, he is with us, you know. Um, he is our shepherd and he is it goes with us through the storm. And um, he is with us in the midst of the storm. He's with us in the midst of the loss. And, you know. You know, like the story of Lazarus, like he grieves along with Mary and Martha, knowing he's going to bring Lazarus back to life. And so we are not to shy away from grief or not to just speed through the process, but there is hope on the other side. And so you talk a lot about mental health and some of the tools, tips, tricks, techniques, to begin that process of healing. So I'd love for you to share some of those things and and what what that has been like for you. Um, and, and maybe even just something that is, you know, maybe applicable to most people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think the anger toward God, you
2: mentioned that a little bit earlier with your husband. I think sometimes people get frustrated with God's silence or just feeling like God isn't speaking directly to them. And that might be whenever we want to get married and we haven't, or we lose a job or we don't get the job we want or whatever it is in life. When we face something that we we had an expectation or hope for, and God doesn't answer, it can feel like God doesn't love us. Because a lot of times we will take a step and we're like, oh, that must be God. It's a good thing. We got we got the job offer. Thank you, Lord. And And so by default, then when we don't get what we want, we might blame God or think it's God. And and sometimes it might be, sometimes it might not. But I do think going to God and giving Him those feelings is important. But for me, one of the scriptures, it says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. I found that comforting whenever I wasn't going through loss. But then whenever I was in the midst of loss, I'm like, where are you, Lord? You said you're near to the brokenhearted. I'm not feeling you very much. And and I would feel frustrated with myself. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And I would try to just be faithful. I'm like, I, I'm not walking by my feelings, but by faith. And so, Lord, I'm putting my trust in you anyway. And, and then I'd be okay for a few days. And then I would struggle. And I kind of just go through this place where I just didn't feel quite myself. Mm. I wasn't living my best life. I wasn't feeling stable and strong. And so my identity was shaken mm-hmm. and I decided I'm going to keep going to scripture because I'm faithful, even when I don't want to be. And then I'm like, oh, Lord, the scripture is getting on my nerves. It's not It's like giving me the answers. <laughs> yeah. And then I would say, like, okay, wait, Job. Like, I don't want to be like Job's wife. I want to be like Job. He was faithful. He didn't curse God and die, like she said. And so I see myself, like there's something in my inner spirit that is drawn to him. Like, that's what I want to be like, Lord. I want to be gritty. I don't want to give up. And I saw at the end that the Lord did come through and that increased my faith. I saw David he says, where are you, Lord? And then later we see God shows up and he, he also says, yet I will praise you. And so I said, okay, Lord, that I want to be like that. I'm struggling. I don't feel you. Your word tells me you're near to the brokenhearted and I'm not feeling it. So what other scriptures you got? And I eventually, I mean, we're talking months here. I come to a scripture in Job that says the Lord speaks in one way and in two, though man may not perceive it. Hmm. And so it shifted my prayer. I said, God, Help me to perceive your voice. I assume I am missing it. Mm. I've prayed and I've said, Lord, you're near the brokenhearted. This is what scripture I'm praying, but I'm I must be missing it because I know your word tells us that we have this intrinsic ability to perceive God and nature and the things that that God's made. And so I know that in my grief, I must be missing something. So help me. Mm. And I'd have some days where I really felt like God did open my eyes. And then I'd have some days where I felt like it was still just hard. And so I'm just trying to be faithful, even though. It didn't feel easy. And so I want to normalize that because I think so often people wait seven years to tell the story and they tell the story in a beautiful, poetic way that makes it sound like they didn't have any struggle, that they were great. And and God is just rainbows and butterflies. And the reality is it's, it's hard sometimes, mm-hmm. but God is worth our sacrifice. And God was worthy before we get our, we got our answer before we get our our baby, before we get the the cure, before we get all the good things, God was worthy. And we can praise him even through the hard times, even when we don't feel his presence. If I Mm. literally don't ever feel God's presence again, he's still worthy of my service. And that's Mm. hard. It's hard. I'm like, Lord, please don't ever take your presence from me. But sometimes it's hard. It's hard. It's me that separates myself from God. Maybe sometimes I guess the Lord lets that distance happen to us or it makes it a little bit, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what God does. Like, are, are you doing this? Is this the devil? Oh, I'm not exactly sure. Goodness,
0: yes. Yes.
1: I've worked in the church for a while now. And sometimes it's like, Oh, this is a good God, but God doesn't feel like he's good right now. And why did he take this from me? Why am I going through these things? And yeah. I'm supposed to learn something. And I, I, sometimes I blame modern christianity in the way that we approach god and we think that it's just supposed to be life enhancement skills you go to church and that's not really what it is and it's really hard Mm -hmm. and if you're i mean it's simple but it's difficult to have some that to accept jesus as the lord of your life you are no longer the lord of your life and submitting to that day in and day out is difficult And also admitting that, not admitting, but realizing that God wants to be in the middle of your worst, filthiest moments when you're at home by yourself and you feel like you can't go on anymore and you're sobbing and you can't handle it. And you're saying and thinking the things that you don't want anybody to know about. God wants to be right in the middle of that, just as much as if you're on the front row, raising your hands at church.
0: Mm -hmm. So interesting. I heard a sermon yesterday so I was in Texas for this, I oh, was speaking at this women's ministry thing, and my friend and I stayed through the weekend so that we could go to church. And being church planters, we very rarely get to just like go to someone else's church. So we were like, we're seizing the seizing the opportunity. In any event, the the sermon was on faithfulness. And um, under looking at the um, kind of the baseline scripture of um, Acts 16 pretty much from like verse 16 through the end of the chapter and you're you know looking at Paul and Silas and there's a, mm-hmm. a little girl possessed by a demon and then but then they end up in prison and all this stuff and and the whole idea was that like faithfulness sometimes will land us in prison <laughs> Sam, nope. you know, sometimes faithfulness will give us provision. But one of the things that the pastor was talking about was how, and he, he was like, I realized that this is going to sound pretty harsh. And he was like, but a lot of the versions of American Westernized Christianity that we have given ourselves or, or we are seeking is a demonic form of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Ooh, shots fired. Um, but he was basically unpacking how a lot of times we, actually create almost like a polytheistic version of Christianity. Well, there's mm. the the God that's going to make me rich. And who? Mm-hmm. how do I pray to that God? And then there's the God who's going to give me the spouse and the marriage that I want. So how do I pray to that God? And then this God over here is going to give me the career and the success that I want. And then this God over here is going to give me the, you know, the nice house and the nice car. And it's like, oh yeah, that is a polytheistic, demonic form of what people want to think is Christianity, that it's just like, oh, well, if I become a Christian, if I surrender my life to Jesus, then the rest of my life is just going to be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. And we're just going to be doing the thing and I'm going to be getting what I want and what I'm going to pray for things. And then I'm just going to manifest it. I'm just going to manifest it and it's going to come to fruition. And that is not how it works. That is not biblical. <laughs> there is nothing
1: to that. How did we get here? How did, how we, in get the world here? did we get here? Because imagine if you were looking at the job description and the experiences of the apostles. My God goodness. Like, look at those guys. I mean, they all died for their faith and they went places and they were stoned and beaten and lost social status and opportunities for things and family members and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like where in scripture does it say, like we take a couple of scriptures that are, that actually have to do with sharing the gospel that actually have to do with God giving us what we need to share the gospel and further right. the mission of other people making eternal decisions for Christ, not our bank account. Right. We take that and then we slap it on top of what it is that we currently want. And we call it the gospel. And that's not the gospel.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It becomes this, just uh, this, f- yeah, this form of Christianity that isn't really what what Jesus asked. And and you know, I, I believe it was you know Jesus said you know take up your cross and mm-hmm. follow me and um, to die to self. Um, and I love uh, what is it, John six thirty or three thirty, where when where he's like you know, Lord, you must increase and I must decrease. Mm-hmm. Um, I pray that prayer. Every single time that I ever speak, um, I pray that because I'm just like, nope, Lord, let like get me out of the way. Um, I just need to get out of the way and let you move. And that is when God is able to do his best work. And I really feel like that is what God teaches us through suffering and through grief. And, um, you know, so much of, you know, I feel like what, what you guys have been sharing too, is that allowing, giving yourself that space. To grieve, to understand that suffering is a refiner, and then Mm -hmm. how you then you know what do you learn learn from it in the future.
1: I really like that you asked what can you learn from that because we found that there's things that we need to learn along the way. Oh,
2: absolutely! Mm -hmm. One of the things you mentioned with that verse, like I must decrease and you must increase. I often would read that verse, and it's kind of this. Ashley is not good. She needs more Jesus. Lord, I must decrease and you must increase. And whenever I studied it a little bit recently, I realized, I think it's John the Baptist that says it, and he, he doesn't stop baptizing people and he doesn't stop doing these things. I believe that we can be fully who God's called us to be, but it's like, the best version of Ashley, the best version of Molly, Mm -hmm. because we're full of Jesus and we can walk in confidence. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes I've prayed that verse whenever I feel like I'm in a really negative space or I'm feeling in grief, like, Lord, I can't do this. And I'm trying to teach myself to pray that in a positive way. Like, Lord, I want to be so full of you that I walk out there and I can be loud and I can be confident and I can keep people's attention because your word is holy and people should come to church on a Sunday morning and be excited and invigorated by your word. And that I can be the vessel through which you flow to speak to people's hearts and that I can be me. But sometimes I will feel like, oh, I need to be like quiet or something different to say like less of me and more of you. Mm. And and I just think that that's what grief does for sure. For it makes me think like I need less of this because this is icky and it's like, no, we need more of Jesus. And that's what it means to be less of the sinful side, but more of that
0: spirit filled side. Mm, that's so good. And really interesting that you shared that perspective because I don't know, and I, and I don't mean to be like, well, I've just never had that problem, but, but like, I think, I, I don't <laughs> think I've ever played it in. Well, I think, I don't think I've ever prayed that from a perspective of it as it being a negative thing like that. Prayer for me has always been from a positive perspective. But now that you That's say great. that, yeah. I love that you shared that because I'm like, oh, I'd never thought of it as a negative way because I I guess for me, because I have a big personality um, mm-hmm. and so I, I was always told that I was too much. Like I've mm-hmm. been told many times in my life, you're too much. And um, I have countless stories of that. And so I... I think for me, it is more that for coming from that perspective of, like you said, just, just being so filled with the Holy spirit that like, I don't ever, like I was talking with a, uh, my friend about this. It's like, whenever I speak at like our church, I actually get really uncomfortable and go like hide afterwards because I don't want people to come up to me and be like, that was so great. You were great. I actually really don't genuinely do not want that. And I'm that's not me trying to like humble brag is I, I it makes me really uncomfortable. And I know people's hearts are in the right place. And it's my own sure, thing sure. that I have to work with. Um, But the biggest compliment someone can give me after I ever speak somewhere is I had never known that about the Bible or yeah. you just made the Bible so exciting. And I was so in it, like, I never knew the Bible could be that fun or, mm-hmm. you know, at, like things like that, where you really made this p- part of scripture come alive. And I'm like, yes. Like, cause it's not about me. It's letting mm-hmm. God because God is exciting and his word is exciting and his word is fun and the Bible is fun. And people, I believe that people who bore people with the Bible, are the worst, like, like, guys, this is the most, you're taking the most exciting news, the most exciting story ever told in the history of the universe. And like, why would you bore people with this? Like, that is terrible. And so that's, that's my prayer is that I would be so filled with like the joy and the love of the Holy spirit that people would see that and Mm. not Molly Stillman just being too much.
1: I love that. And by the way, someone told me I was too much yesterday. People looked at me multiple times today, like I was too much. I I just See? I get that. Yeah. And sometimes I'm just loud and I'm a lot. We See?
2: we got to do a book signing at the Y, which is a unique Y M C A. Yeah. And during class, he was running. He ran so fast, he ran past the door and nearly into the wall. So Chuck, Scr-
1: he, while he screaming, was a lot of
2: fun. <laughs> Oh my gosh. and it was great, but I'm like,
1: wow. Sometimes I'm just a lot. No, but I completely agree with that. Like, okay, so the creator of the universe, the creator of everything, the most powerful, interesting story ever told and that we're boring it, that's our problem. Don't put that on the creator. Don't put that on the author. That's the delivery of that person and Amen. what it is that they're doing. And you know what? Every church service doesn't have to feel like a funeral. Amen. It's like, it's solemn and respect does not mean that you have to be Thank you for coming today. Like Mm -hmm. that is not more reverent. I don't think that necessarily makes God happy with you because you sound sad and you sound more like what a 1940s version of God from heaven sounded like, because you're trying to mimic that voice coming from the clouds. Does not make you more spiritual.
2: Yeah. and I want to echo that now we're all three going to maybe have a a little extra pressure. I'm going to feel it. Y'all... (laughs) <laughs> might not but a extra pressure to do a really fabulous you better
1: bring job. it Molly you better bring it sweetie
0: oh, i love it so much yeah but no it's i agree and i yeah you're not more reverent because you're being real serious the whole time um and it's it's the same reason like why when we talk about being in stages of grief to know that there is actually hope on the other side and that there is joy. Mm -hmm. And like I, you know, so I do um, a chronological Bible reading plan every year where I read through the Bible chronologically. And right now I'm in, I'm in the trenches. I'm gonna be honest. I'm in the part of the Bible that is not my favorite. And every year God sanctifies me through it because I'm always like, God, really with Ezekiel, why are we cooking bread over Feces. Like, why is mm-hmm. this? Why is mm-hmm. this a thing? Like, why is he laying on his side? Lord, I don't I have so many questions. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but then I laugh because I'm like, because God's like, you gotta admit, this is a little funny. I realize it wasn't funny at the time, but it's a little funny that like maybe I had a sense of humor. Can we just have a um I actually stole this phrase from Beth Moore? Um, she says, Sanctified imagination. Like, can we just let scripture come to life and have a sanctified imagination? And sometimes yeah. I just like to picture yeah. Ezekiel laying on his side and just looking up at God being like, for real. Like, like, like really? How did I get here?
1: This is what you had me doing. This,
0: this is it. And then here we are thousands of years later going, really, really, Lord? Like, what, what was the point?
1: Um, I get to be that guy. I get to be
0: that guy. Yeah. And so it's like, you can't write a lifetime movie that is more exciting. Um, You know, you know, Christopher Nolan could not make this more exciting than what it actually is. Um, So all that to say is God gives us he gave us all emotions. He gave us all moods. He gave us all feelings. Like he is creative. And and like we see joy and grief and sorrow and confusion and heartache and elation and laughter. Like we see every single emotion, every single, we see melancholy, we see romance, we see seduction, like it's all there. And God is so intentional in all of it. And I, um, I just, I love it. I love it so much. And, and so I, 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 to your point is you are not more reverent and more holy because you're just standing there speaking, using words like beseech and thou and thy. And like, I love it. I love some of the the King Jimmy stuff, uh, you know, and, and the old hymns. I love it, but we also can bring Scripture to life, and God gave us those spiritual gifts to be able to do that. And anyway, I've realized I've just gone on a complete soapbox and tangent. But here we are. No, and- I'm
1: standing next to you on the same box. <laughs> this is so, this uh, is why you come the box on my is show. Big enough for both of us. That's good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is when I always tell people like when, when sometimes like if I'm talking to somebody about like booking them on my show, I'm like, I just want you to know, like we, sometimes it might go to a place that you don't understand, that you don't expect. And we just go with it and we say, yes, mm-hmm. um, I've been doing this mm-hmm. for seven years now. And this is, this is where we Woo. are in any event. I, okay. So I, I know we're, we're running out of time here, but I just wanted to, before we go and before, as we're wrapping up to kind of, again, bring it back to the beginning of, of, how we for the person and I guess I should say is I really would love for each of you to kind of speak to the person listening who is on, let's say, upstream and midstream of a season of loss, whether it is the big loss, like the big loss of a marriage, the big loss of a job, the big loss of a parent or a child, like that big thing, Or I love that you give that example of the little loss of the best friend, the neighbor that moved. You know, I like I remember when we moved to our farm, we moved during the pandemic and my daughter, like we only moved 30 minutes away. But like my daughter just cried and cried and cried that she was like Mm -hmm. never going to see her best friends from her old school ever again. And she's kept in somewhat in touch, but she in some ways is kind of right. Like we really haven't seen them very much since then, but she has new friends that have, have become so special and, you know, she, we wouldn't trade it for the world. And, but that was hard in helping her honor that, like, those were amazing friends that you had for a, a season of time. And we still love them and we honor that relationship, but that's, you know, we're, it, life is a little different now. So any minute, anyway, I just, um, I want you to kind of each speak to those people, whether they're upstream or they're midstream from in that season and what to do next.
2: If you're reading the title and you see, I used to be married or I used to be a person with worth or value, or there's something there and you're like, I don't know that I'm ready for that. That's probably a sign that you're resisting and you don't want to go there. And maybe you feel like, "Uh, I don't think I need this. I think I'm good. We've had a lot of people who've read the book and they've even said, I wasn't exactly sure if I needed this. I felt like I'd kind of gotten through the loss it had been several years. And I was surprised by how much I had grown and it was a way to show growth, but also that I had that were still triggers, that were still pain points. And even learning about my mental health and my mental stability, that it was insightful for everyday life. And so that's that relational Mm -hmm. approach that we take. And So we do believe that every person who has read the book, that has told us that has had really big impact in some of the small areas of their lives. And so I'm wondering if it's going to make a bigger impact in some of those small losses than we even thought, because helping people to understand you have big losses and those are typically more obvious that we should get help. But those smaller losses actually end up sometimes adding up to create bigger relational losses. Mm. And if we can get ahead of those, then we can have more of a thriving relationship instead of just kind of surviving. Mm.
1: Tell people to take a breath and to be patient with themselves. You know, if you lost somebody or something that you really, really loved, it changes you and Mm -hmm. you don't have to put pressure on yourself to put on a face or put on a front for the other people that you're going to be around. If you need to take time to process things, then you take time to process things. And at the same time, if you feel like, you know what? It's okay for me to laugh or to enjoy things right now. It's also okay for you to laugh and enjoy things
0: right, right now. Amen. It a-
1: doesn't honor who it is that you lost anymore for you to be more and more sad and to be more and more self loving or to withdraw from the other relationships that mean a lot to you. If you've lost a spouse, it doesn't serve your family for you to withdraw because of the loss that you've gone through. Mm-hmm. Your family still needs you. And we tell people that it's not just for you that you do this work, we believe that we all leave a legacy, we leave something inside of people after we're gone and through our relationships. And it is likely true that for most of us, There is a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a friend that didn't do a great job of processing a loss or a grief they had. And they were not emotionally, relationally, or spiritually open to something that you could have benefited from. Hmm. Now let's flip that. What if you did this work and you were present? You were available. You were emotionally available and not shut down to having another relationship after this loss? How's that going to have an impact? Have an impact on your kids, on your grandkids. What is it that God would want to do and how is it that he would want to use you, even though things have changed? It's okay that it's different. And if, if we just wait, you're not waiting until things just to go back to the way they were before things changed. Mm. And uh, that doesn't happen. But it doesn't mean that God can't make something beautiful out of it.
0: Mm. I want to interview guys for like another hour because this is so much like, especially what you just said is like the heartbeat of why I do what I do. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if I've shared this publicly on the podcast or not So my book that comes out in March the title is literally called if I don't laugh. I will cry um, mm-hmm. or I'll cry and uh, It's I love that. It's the tension of Grief and joy and so I mean it's it's a memoir but it's you know the story of my, my mom died when I was in high school and and How her death really was a atomic bomb on my life and how I used comedy And, um, you know, making people laugh as a mask. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm really passionate about, because I did the unhealthy version of what you were talking about, where I didn't grieve at all. I just was like, well, I'm just going to shut down emotionally and I'm just going to look fine on the outside. I'm going to just be laughing and I'm going to be joyful. And people are going to be like, wow, she's so strong. She's handling this great. (laughs) Which was not the case, um, and so what? And but I also didn't know the Lord at the time. But then you know, here I am now, twenty-one years later. After you know the loss of my mom, and I uh, am a Christian now, and I believe that there is it is okay to live in the tension of the both, and you can be joyful and grieving at the same yes. time. You can laugh and cry at the same time. God gave us those emotions at the same time, like the ability to feel those things at the same time and how important that is and that yeah that doesn't make me miss my mom any less or uh, uh you know miss the my babies any less like when i laugh or i'm able to joke about something you know like it's not mm-hmm. it's not d- not honoring them it's just living in the reality of the beauty and the the brutal parts of life and giving ourselves the space and the permission to be able to to do that and to feel that. My last question was was really prompted by something you said and that is what would be your advice for somebody who is a f- friend or a loved one of somebody who is maybe in the muck of it of how to support them while they're in that feeling of used to be.
2: Well, we certainly frame most of the book around helping us first get help so our goal would be then that we help others down the road so we do have toward the end of the book we we talk about how to help others too and so you could you could read that chapter read some of those but we'll we'll touch on a few of the things that we mentioned and one of the things is just trying to be creative at the way that you can help because a lot of times when someone goes through loss we'll send a text that sounds like this hey thinking about you if you need anything let me know mm-hmm. to which the person says oh thanks love you
1: <laughs> and nothing ever happens after that and, and at least right. from what we experienced the majority of the time it's oh. like they're just gonna randomly say hey can you go pick up me pick up dinner for me and the kids?" Yeah, yeah. no. I going to just randomly ask for that.
2: So we try to just mention a few things like, okay, if someone has children and they've faced a loss, maybe you could babysit their children or pay for them to have a babysitter Mm -hmm. so that they could go for a walk or go out to dinner or do something. But you're just giving some ideas, go to a support group with them. Don't just tell them that you want them to go, but go with them or pay for a counseling session. If you feel like they really need to, and they haven't taken that step, but, but think about the relational things you can do. Maybe if you're trying to take up an offering or give a donation, then think creatively instead of just doing the the baseline of what people always do. And so I think flowers are great. But if there's something different that you could do that would really help move them forward, I think that is really healthy. And, and so we we just give people the freedom to look for creative options. And mm. I think that, that 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 would have helped us more. And so that's Absolutely. part of as we're reflecting on ours and thinking about what people do, like it's not because people are bad. They just no. are busy with their own life. They're unskilled about how to talk about grief. So they avoid it. So we want to give compassion, but also let's push ourselves to help others when we get to a place where we're strong enough mm. to do so.
1: And don't feel like you have to say the perfect thing because there is no perfect thing to say. Amen. Like when you show up, you don't have to say something to take away their pain because you're not gonna say anything. It's gonna take away their pain.
2: But you might say something that will be hurtful oh, if you try. To oh, have you, have can a it <laughs> <laughs> you can screw it Spiritual answer. A hundred percent
1: stupid. But usually that happens from somebody trying to overreach and they overshoot and it's like they try to say something super spiritual and then all of a sudden they're talking about angels and then they're processing their own grief that they never processed because they haven't been at a funeral home in seven and a half years or something. Right. So it's just like not putting too much pressure on that moment and being a friend and being present and letting them know that sometimes you don't know what to say. Sometimes between Ashley and I, some of the most effective things that we do in our marriage or I do at least is letting her know that I have no idea what to do or say right
0: now, Mm. Mm. but I want
1: things to be better and I feel awkward, but I, I love you and I'm confused. And sometimes that helps.
0: Oof, that's so good. Oh, that's so good, man. I like I said, I could have we're just gonna have to probably have you all back on at another time and we can just unpack yeah. all the other things that we didn't get to. We'd love
1: to. Um well and I wanna hear about your your story oh, and thanks. making the connections with uh you and losing your mom and your journey of developing your content kind of the way that you asked us. Well, thanks. I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear more about that in the future as well.
0: Well, thanks. Yeah. Well, we're, we're now we're friends. So I always tell people, I'm like, by the way, warning too, if you come on my show, you're now my friend. So I call you my friend. So mm-hmm. like I've had, sometimes I've like, you know, over seven years, I've had the opportunity to like interview some pretty cool people, like some pretty famous people. And I'm just like, yeah, my friend, <laughs> you know, we, we had like an hour conversation but they're my friend now. <laughs> it's fine. And my husband's just like, "Mm -hmm, no bigs. Could you call them? I'm like, yes. You can can call us. Yeah. You can call us
1: or text us anytime.
0: Anyway. Anyway. uh, Well, you guys are fantastic. Everybody listening, please right now go get this book. I used to be blank by, don't type in blank, just, but I used to be by Chuck and Ashley Elliott. Um, Thank you both so much for being here. Um, Where can people best connect with you? Obviously, like I said, they should buy your book, um, but where can they best Mm -hmm. connect and support you?
1: Chuckandashley.com. Love it. You can hang out with us there, get links to all kinds of social media channels, free content, free things that we put out there. We just want to help people. So fantastic. Great place to find links.
0: Thank you so much, guys, and Ashley, Chuck, you're amazing. Thanks for being here. Yay! Thanks, Molly. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I told you, Chuck and Ashley are amazing. I knew you would not be disappointed. I would love to know what you loved about this episode, or something that you learned, or something that maybe spoke directly to you. Would you let us know on social media? You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Can I Laugh Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And would you take a moment to click that subscribe or follow button and leave a review? Because that lets me know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. As always, thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. Thank you, the listener, for listening. And this week, I hope something makes you laugh till you cry. We'll see you next week. Bye.